0: We're picking up where we have left off in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 12 today. Uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 25, the whole chapter. Um, last week, we looked at sort of how the gospel broke out among the, the Gentile believers in Antioch. And this week, we're zooming back to Jerusalem. We're going to be looking at what's going on there. Um, and we're told at the very last that Saul and Barnabas had headed to Jerusalem uh, to uh, give a gift that the, the, the people at Antioch uh, had gotten together on account of famine and hunger. Uh, they were they were actually going to support um, the folks in Jerusalem. And the text shifts focus, kind of leaving Saul and Barnabas on their journey we we aren't exactly sure if they arrived before this text but it seems like they were en route or they were going to be coming Um, the two texts kind of overlap in that sense this is what's been happening in Jerusalem Uh, sort of a meanwhile sort of sense that we get so let's turn our attention to the text this is God's word Uh, you can find it printed for you in the bulletin Uh, it's from Acts chapter 12 About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. Then Peter came to, uh, came to himself, and he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You're out of your mind! But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It's his angel! But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened or what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and didn't find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace... Because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last but the word of god increased and multiplied and barnabas and silas returned from jerusalem when they were when they had completed their service bringing with them john whose other name was mark the word of the lord Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the powerful work that you do. Uh, We ask that you would show us uh, your glory in the ways that you work in our lives, the ways that you are ruling and overruling, and the way that you care for us. We ask that you would help us to understand your word this morning and to see Jesus more clearly, because we ask these things in his name. Amen. Well... We're on a roller coaster again. If you've been with us, you, you, you kind of feel that, right? The up and the down. Last week was an up. We had uh, those two men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went and shared the gospel with the Gentiles in Antioch. And many came to faith. And there was, uh, Barnabas went to check on things and was greatly uh, rejoiced and encouraging them in their faith. And he went and got Saul. And they were teaching. Everybody was uh, doing well. And even these folks, as they, they were taught the word and as they saw need, they poured out their need to the folks in Jerusalem. It was sort of a high point. Uh, on the track, if you will. And all of a sudden, we go back to Jerusalem and we come crashing down the hill, uh, as it were. Uh, And we are introduced uh, to uh, a man, a king, named Herod. Now, there's lots of Herods, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, This Herod uh, was Herod Agrippa, and he had taken James, and immediately we're taught that he killed James by the sword. And he had taken Peter, and he had arrested him. Two apostles, one dead, one in prison, facing his execution. Uh, You feel that, that sudden drop, all that joy, now mixed with sorrow, we're on track as observers but you can imagine what it was like for these believers have you ever been on sort of an emotional roller coaster the peak of joy and excitement only to find yourself at the very next moment faced with crushing grief sorrow, fear Have have you been there yourself in your own life have you felt blindsided by it in the midst of that moment did you start to question everything I know I've been there. Is God good? Is He with us? Does He love me? And if so, why is my friend, my mother, my brother, my sister, whomever, dead? Why are we suffering? Why would God allow this? I'm sure that's how these believers felt as they gathered in Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, as they were wrestling with God in prayer, as they wondered, what is your purpose in these things? It can be very hard for us to see, right? Grief and despair and sadness and fear, they kind of blind you, don't they? You can't see past them. We feel overwhelmed. But God is still ruling. God still cares. He still shows His love to us. And this is what I want us to see. This is what I want us to consider as we look at our text this morning. God reigns over us, over His creation, over all things. And God cares for and loves His people. Those are truths that we have to grasp onto if we're going to make it through this life The suffering that we face on a daily basis. God is sovereign. He loves us and He cares for us. Those two truths hold on tight. And I want to look at it in four parts. First, God reigns and cares for you even in the death of a loved one. God reigns and cares for you in surprising ways. We'll look at that. God reigns and cares for you by accomplishing His purposes. And finally, God reigns and cares for you by conquering his and our enemies. We'll look at these things in turn. First, God reigns and cares for you even in the death of a loved one. The text opens with these ominous words. About that time, Herod, that is Herod Agrippa I, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. I've already mentioned that there's lots of Herods in the Bible or um, at the time of uh, the, the, the New Testament time period. Uh, the first one is Herod the Great. Uh, he was. We'll be looking at him as we enter into the Advent season. He was the one uh, who uh, the wise men came to and then who eventually went and um, killed the babies in Bethlehem seeking to kill Jesus uh, as a threat to his own kingdom. The second Herod that we see is Herod Archelaus. He was the son of Herod the Great. Uh, He reigned over Judea and Samaria while Jesus was young. Um, um, But he was relieved in his duties by the Pontius Pilate. So he doesn't play any sort of major role in Scripture. But then there's Herod Antipas, also a son of Herod the Great, uh, who reigned over Galilee and Perea during Jesus' time. And he was known for doing what? For beheading John the Baptist and... uh, he comes into play. He, he, uh, his wife uh, famously called for the beheading of John the Baptist, Herodias. And he ruled over the whole region. Uh, I'm sorry. He ruled over the, the sort of area of, of uh, uh, Galilee and Piraeus, kind of up to the north and to the east a little bit in uh, the land of Israel. And then we have somebody who isn't really talked about at all, a guy by the name of Herod Philip, uh, he's son of Herod the Great as well, and he ruled to the north and east of Galilee, so even farther, kind of overseeing Syria. So these are, these are local rulers uh, who oversaw this area. Finally, we have Herod, who follows all of these people, Herod Agrippa I, and he ends up ruling over all of the area. So that it was split up into all these parts. He had all these sons of Herod the Great. But under Herod Agrippa, it was all consolidated. Herod, uh, who was friends with the emperor, was a, like a young child with Claudius, uh, was given over this land. One other really important thing to remember about this Herod, Herod Agrippa, is that he was also part Jewish. Okay? That's significant. He desperately wanted the Israel, the the Jews of that day, to like him. He was actually extremely popular uh, among uh, the Jews. If you go back and read the Jewish historians, he is a hero in some ways. So our concern is with him, grandson of great Herod, nephew of Herodias, uh, uh, the the, the woman who had John uh, the Baptist beheaded, friend of the emperor Claudius, and uh, this is the man we're looking at. All of this is important background. Why? That's a lot of information. Why is this significant? I think it's important to understand why he sought to kill the apostles. For him, it was an expedient way to ingratiate himself, right? To make himself well-liked. Uh, if there was anything that he saw when he, when he uh, arrested James, and we aren't told how it happened, and when he killed him, what happened? The Jewish people were excited. <laughs> uh, and he thought to himself, well, that was good, I'll take their, their, their chief apostle, if you will, the apostle Peter, I'll arrest him and do the same thing. And I'll become well-loved among these people. It's interesting. Up to this point, we've seen persecution. Remember, Stephen was stoned to death, right? Uh, He was martyred. Uh, We saw Saul persecute, take people from their homes, particularly Hellenistic Jews, uh, Jews that had lived outside of, uh, who had grown up outside of um, Judea proper, who had happened to be in Jerusalem. They They were pursued. But we haven't seen any apostles arrested. Maybe there was fear among the Jewish leaders. They were afraid that if they, if they arrested and tried to do any harm to the apostles, that they would... Um, that they would and, they, and they did this early on, that they would face the wrath of the crowds. These men were popular. But if Herod did it, he wasn't afraid. He had the whole Roman army behind him. He wasn't afraid of these men. And so it was expedient in, for him to ingratiate himself among the Jewish people. And so he kills James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, by the sword. Likely he was beheaded. Can you imagine the shock? One of the twelve... The brother of Jesus' most beloved disciple, John. He was the one who was, who, with all the other apostles, he was one who was commissioned by Jesus to go into all the world to make disciples. And it feels like James had barely got started. And his life was taken away. Can you imagine the emotions? How can you let wicked men do this, Lord? Lord, why wouldn't you stop this terrible thing from happening? Grief, anger, bewilderment, feeling distraught, maybe despair. These are just a few of the feelings that I'm sure the disciples of Jesus had. Not to mention, they were hungry. Right? There's famine in the land. Uh, we don't know exactly when Paul and Barnabas arrived. Maybe they arrive in the midst of all of this. We aren't told. Um, but they're also starving and they're wondering, where is God? Why, Lord? Isn't that the hardest question? Why, Lord? Have you ever sat by somebody who asked that question? And what do you say to him? Maybe you've asked that question. Why, Lord? I don't know. I just don't know. That's what we say, right? We can't, we can't understand uh, the, all the mystery and understanding that God has. We don't have that divine perspective. And when something tragic like the death of a loved one or a tragic death in this case happens that, that throws everything into question, we can't help but ask why. But I do think there are some general things that, we can, that can remind us that God is sovereign. Sovereign. That he's in control, that he's king, and that he cares. I think it's important to remind ourselves of these things. Yes, James was commissioned to go out and make disciples. And while it might seem like his life was cut short, it was, and that he didn't accomplish what he could have had he lived longer, the reality is he finished the work that the Lord had set for him to do. He had done it, what he was called to. He was a faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Maybe he didn't go like Thomas to India or like Paul all over the Roman world. Maybe he didn't travel as far or spend his entire life or like John right at the end of his life from the island of Patmos. Maybe he didn't do any of those things. But he was a faithful witness doing the work of the Lord there in Jerusalem bringing the gospel to bear. He served God to the end. And then he was taken home to glory. When we are done with our work here, we're done. God won't call you home. But until then, we continue to work and to serve God. But in Christ we are guaranteed an eternity with Him. You see, He cares for us. Do uh, you remember the Apostle Paul who, who said in these words in, the, in his letter to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he understood that as long as the Lord had him here, he would pour himself out in service to the Lord because that was his call. But if the Lord took him home, it was his gain. Either way, to the glory and praise of the Lord and His good, our good, Sure, it was desperately painful to lose James, one of the sons of Zedbedee. Can you imagine what it was like for his mom? We're told in the Gospels that his mom was at the cross. Mary, another Mary. It's a lot of Marys. Most popular name in all of history, I think, for a woman. Um, it was popular at this time. As Mary watched her Savior die. And now she watched one of her sons die. Imagine what it was like for her. But I, I think that it was the memory of the cross that in her grief brought her hope. It was the cross reminding her of the depth to which Christ himself suffered and died that gave her hope and life. It was that that gave her hope that her son was in glory with her, his Savior, with her Savior. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Do we believe it? I think James knows it. He knows it's gain now as he sits in glory. The sovereign care of God that even in death there is gain. The gain of seeing our Savior face to face. The Apostle Paul writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. Christ Himself defeating death on the cross. God reigns over us, and He cares for us, even in death. God reigns and cares for you also in surprising ways. He cares for all of us in surprising ways. Someone somewhere once said laughter is the best medicine. And anyone who has gone through grief gets this. Sometimes in the midst of our grief we find ourselves laughing, laughing over memories laughing over some absurdity revolving around all of the funeral arrangements. There's, there's there's, places for humor, even in our grief. Laughter brings relief, and I think it's a gift. Well, I think God brought relief uh, to these bereaved saints as they were hold up in the and Mary, the mother of John Mark's house, as they were praying. I think uh, God brought relief in a sort of humorous way in a humorous story. When we read the account, you get the feeling that it was often told. There's lots of details here about it. Did you did you pay attention as we looked um, at these details? Humorous in some parts. Um, I can imagine Luke you know, probably didn't meet James, and maybe this is how Luke heard the story for the first time. I, we, we, these are a conjecture, I don't know. Maybe Luke and James had known each other. But, but, you know, Paul is just coming into the picture, and we know that Luke was one of the compatriots of Paul. So it's likely that Luke didn't know James. But you can imagine him as he's sort of doing his investigative journalism, Luke, that, that exacting person that he is, asking, tell me about James. I'm learning about all the disciples. Tell me about James. And there he's writing down, and as they're telling the story of James, I imagine there was grief in that moment of the story. Right? Sadness as they recount the death of James. But I can also imagine at that moment, uh, they said, "But, but, oh, you should have heard this story about Peter. Maybe Peter, would you would you tell Luke what happened? Give us give us the details again. We love this story, um, and so Peter tells the story. What what are some things uh, uh, that we see in the story uh, that of Peter being in prison? Peter's in prison. He's asleep. He's chained. Herod didn't take any chances, right? He's chained between two guards. There's two guards at the door. They're just waiting an execution, and there's no way that this that Herod's going to be thwarted in his work. In the middle of the night, Peter's asleep. And I always think that in itself is quite, kind of amazing, because I'm sure Herod was sleeping probably just like a baby. I can imagine Peter having a restless night. But we're told he was asleep. And all of a sudden, a bright light is shown, and Peter gets a good kick in the side. Peter, wake up! <laughs> He's hit in the side by an angel. Uh, that's just a funny picture, uh, and then you get this sense that Peter's in this kind of stupor. And the angel's like, All right, Peter, let's go. You need to get dressed. You need to put on your shoes. You know, in our household, this is a daily ritual. <laughs> right? You get your kid out of bed. Wake up! <laughs> wake up! And then they kind of look at you. You're like, You need to get out of bed. You need to stand up and put on your shoes. Does that ever happen in your households? Yeah. It feels like a dream in that moment but that's kind of what we get the sense here And put on your sandals take your cloak wrap it around yourself follow me we're leaving and all this time Peter still thinks this is a vision or a dream he thinks that uh, uh, maybe I don't know what he was thinking but he just kind of goes with the angel and follows him outside they get out the gate the gate kind of mysteriously opens uh, through this miraculous opening that the angel does they walk outside down the road and all of a sudden poof the angel's gone and you just have Peter standing in the middle of the road. This is pretty humorous. Looking around, he's like, "Oh, I'm awake. Oh, the Lord has just saved me." you Imagine that moment of like all that time going through the jail, the, the you know going through the jail, going through the guards, trying to get out. It, it just struck him all of a sudden. Oh, the Lord just saved me. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a humorous thing so then of course it gets even more humorous he goes and he, he knocks on the door of uh, uh, Mary's house where everyone is and this woman, uh, this servant girl comes and, and hears his voice, hey it's me, it's Peter Rhoda then is just in shock leaves Peter at the door <laughs> right? so excited Peter's here, runs and tells everybody, Peter's there, hello knock 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 Oh, it can't be Peter. It must be an angel. It must be his angel. No, it's Peter. Go and they open the door. It's Peter. Peter's with us. See how God brings comfort? Brings comfort in the midst of their sorrow. Surprising ways. I think it's the case that we regularly underestimate God. We think either He can't work or He won't work. The truth is, He's working all the time. We're often so caught up in our sorrow and our suffering and our trouble. Uh, No, Rhoda, you're crazy. It must be an angel. Peter's like, no, it's a dream, it's a vision. I'm at work. I'm your God. I love you and I care for you. They were amazed. Amazed at God who works in surprising ways, even humorous ways, in order to show His care and to reveal His glory. Well, there are two more points. I don't know, they're just going to be really brief. Third point is God reigns over you and cares for you by accomplishing His purposes. This isn't necessarily explicit in the text, but it's part of the overarching story. Uh, that he is accomplishing his purposes. While well, James's mission was complete, the Lord had taken him home. Peter's mission was not complete. He wasn't done with him. Peter was going to continue to be God's servant until eventually Peter himself would face death. But even though believers are being persecuted, and apostles are being martyred, the kingdom of God continues to advance. Jesus told Peter this in uh, Matthew chapter sixteen verse eighteen. Jesus, Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Christ. And what did what did Jesus say to him? I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The rock here referring to the confession of faith that Peter and the other apostles were making. Nothing would stop the kingdom of God. The word martyr is simply another word for witness. James, Peter, John, Matthew, and all the rest were witnesses. You and I are what? Witnesses. Witnesses. And though all hell should endeavor to thwart Christ, he does not fail. And it's in this, in Christ accomplishing his end, spreading the good news and establishing his eternal kingdom, that Christ rules and Christ cares for you. Did you catch these words at the very end of the chapter? Just after Herod dies, Herod had done devastating things. He had killed James, he had arrested Peter, worse, he faced his own death. And it says that he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But then these words, "But the word of God increased and multiplied. God accomplishes his purpose. And in that we can find great comfort and great hope. Finally, my last point. God reigns over you and cares for you by conquering his and our enemies. The text ends with this interesting story of Herod. First, of course, Herod uh, does away with uh, his soldiers, his guards, right? He is very godlike in the story. He rests, he kills, he commands he 's like a king, a god king in that area. he has all authority at the at the blink or at the, the power of his word, men die, but then the story there's actually quite a bit written outside of the Bible on this account of uh, Herod as he goes to uh, Caesarea um, and has this uh, party or this spectacle. Um, the games. It said there was games that they had. Uh, you can read about it in Josephus if you wanted to. You can go and he, kind of hear the Jewish perspective on the situation. They loved Herod Agrippa. Remember, uh, he was he was their fan. But Tyre and Sidon, just so you're aware, are in Phoenicia on the coastline north of Israel. So uh, these are not uh, Jewish cities, but they are Gentile cities. Um, And these two uh, cities were facing the famine, just along with everybody else. But they had an added burden. Herod was mad at them. Herod was frustrated. We aren't told why. We were not told what the issues were. Um, but we are told that they they reached out to Blastus. Blastus was the chamberlain, that says in the ESV. It's kind of like a steward, right? Maybe that word's old-fashioned now, too. Um, but it's kind of like a servant of sorts, a very close servant that would have been intimate with, uh, with Herod. Uh, and they convinced him to go to Herod and to sort of plead their cause. And you get a sense that in Caesarea here Herod was coming to finally deal with Tyre and Sidon. That he was going to care for them. He was going to reach out and be benevolent. Because not only did he have the power of death, not only did he have the power to kill, but he had the power to give life, to give food. And so Herod comes, and it says that he got dressed in great attire, uh, his 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 robes. Uh, in the Josephus account, uh, this is the description of the robes. Just really interesting. He says they were made wholly of silver, of truly wonderful texture, and came into the theater early in the morning. There, the silver of the garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays, shone out in a wonderful manner, and was so resplendent as to spread awe over those that looked. Intently upon him, you get the picture. He wanted to make a spectacle of himself that everyone would look on him and say, There's the king, not only there's the king, but there's God Himself. This is exactly what they did, it's exactly what happened. The people cried out, The voice of God and not of man. And at that moment, remember when Peter was, uh, he met uh, with the Roman centurion and the Roman centurion bowed down as if to worship Peter? And Peter says, Get up, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not God. That should have been the response of Herod. I'm not God. But it wasn't. He soaked it in. I am God. Well, what happens? He struck dead. And we have this account uh, in not just the Bible, but in Josephus as well. It talks about him getting immediately, he sees a an owl, which was a sign. Uh, And uh, an omen, if you will, Uh, had been good, but now uh, it was a sign of somebody else before, but now uh, it was bad, and he immediately knew he was going to die. That was kind of the the way the history is written. And he gets this abdominal pain, shooting abdominal pain, they have to carry him out, and five days later he's dead. So that's the Josephus account. Here it takes a much more sort of intense, immediate aspect. An angel of the Lord came and visited him, and he was struck down uh, because he did not give God glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. What do we make of all of this? Well, for one, there is only one God. There is only one God who has power over life and death. That's it. Yes, God allowed Herod to kill James for his own inscrutable reasons And God did not allow Peter to die, but rather used his imprisonment to show his power and his care. But finally, God himself took Herod's life away, showing his power, defending his name, defending his people, conquering his and our enemies, those who had threatened to destroy the church. Herod, you are not God. I am. Does this seem shocking? Surprising? This is what the King of Kings does. This is what the King of Kings does. Yes, He's a God of mercy and grace and love, but He is a conquering King also. And this is of the utmost significance to us because it's through His conquering that His love and His grace and His mercy is manifest to us. Of course, His conquering death on the cross is the greatest example of His work as King. He conquers us as well. It's no wonder that Jesus said you had to pick up your cross and following Him. Why? Because it is in the death of pride, the death of rebellion, the death of all those parts that prevent us from being close to God, that Christ subdues us to Himself, draws us to Himself. He conquers us. And it gives us new life in Him. Our physical death was called by Paul, the last enemy to be destroyed. But even that will eventually be crushed under Christ. Oh, how do we look forward to that day, don't we? When death is finally defeated, until then we know that we have a sovereign king who conquers, His and our enemies, who rules over all things, who subdues us to Himself, who loves us and cares for us in all our needs, who meets us even in the midst of our grief and our sadness, because He is a God who is sovereign, who loves His people, cares for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are sovereign, that You rule and reign, that You overrule, that we have hope in You even beyond death. And Lord, that you, you bring uh, hope and life in su- some surprising ways. And that all your purposes are accomplished and we can put our faith and trust in you because of Christ and what he's done. Lord, we ask that you would be uh, gracious to us, that you would give us comfort, that you would conquer what remains of our rebellion in us. And that you would give us life. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.